This is the Upside Down Podcast, where we discuss the happenings of our coffee shop, art gallery, and community space in Westwood Village. I'm Kyle, the manager of Upside Down and your host for this podcast. Here we discuss coffee, art, and our vision for community behind it all. If you want to learn more, check out our website at UpsideDown.com. Follow us on Instagram at UpsideDown underscore LA. Or our preferred method, visit us at our cafe. We're glad you're here and enjoy the show. Kyle, your host here, and this is part two of our workshop on peace, mental health, and the college experience. So in this episode, you'll hear Isaac, our Upside Down director, do a Q&A with our panelists from the workshop and take audiences' questions around anxiety, being in college, how to practice mindfulness, and all of the above. So enjoy the show. Good job. <laughs> Thank, thank you guys you. so much. Um, yeah, thank you for uh, not making me have to come up with questions on the spot. This is great. Um, we've got 12 questions. I'm going to try to pick um, some of the ones I think will benefit all of us the most. Um, so this first one uh, is, I think, really practical. Um, and I would love for all of you guys to be able to re respond to this. Um, when do you know? that you should consider going to therapy or just try um, some of the practices and the tools that you guys have been describing here today? When is it at an unmanageable point? Um, I think that's a great question. I think that I'm just going to speak my own experience because I think it's different for everybody, the, that, the answer to that. But what I would say is I would explore and talk to different people about my options. Like, I'm not sure if this is true for the two of you, but I know most therapists will jump on a 15-minute call with you to see if it's a fit and explain. You can tell them what you're struggling with. They can um, tell you how they would, like, you know, 15 minutes, but they would give you an idea of how they would help you to work through what you're dealing with. Um, if I, if I was considering maybe I don't need therapy, maybe I just want to do a mindfulness practice, I would go to UCLA's website and get a, on a free podcast and listen to it and check it out. And just kind of like think of the world of mental health offerings as like a buffet and just try some different things and see what feels like this resonates with me and with what I'm struggling with. So that would be my, that was my approach of like trying different things and talking to different people. There are, the field of mental health is such a compassionate field and there's almost always an offering to give you a little bit of their time to see if it feels like it's gonna be helpful. So that would be, um, that would be my suggestion because yeah, we don't necessarily know you know, what is the, when is it too much? You know, if you're asking that question, I think it's worth exploring. Yeah, I, um, I feel like finances and time can be a barrier to uh, seeking out therapy, and that is real. Um, and 
it is also, it can also be a struggle to find the right fit. You know, it is like an investment of time to call a few people, you know, be like, okay, this is the person. Um, but I will share my experience as well. I took forever to go to therapy. Um, I was literally, well, I had been to therapy a little bit, but I was literally pushed by my MFT program, like, you should go to therapy because you're gonna be a therapist. And that is what it took for me, but that is because I'm such a like perfectionist and I'm like, I could probably handle this. I can just look it up, I can just do this. And what I realized is I need a human being and I need compassion and I need empathy and and obviously like the expertise as well, but the expertise I could potentially get some of you know, through articles and podcasts, but the human, you know, I, I needed that. Um, so that being said, there are a lot of different options. There's a lot of affordable options. There's a lot of, um, you know, there are people at every level, uh, like, of training. Um, so there are more options than you would think. And there's also group therapy that is usually more affordable. Um, yeah, I would just encourage you if you're kind of questioning like when is it when am I so bad that I really do need therapy? That's probably not the best way to look at it and um I just was very humbled by my experience to go to therapy because I realized like of course I need it. Of course this is helpful for me. Yeah, and to answer the question when <clears throat> when you're young. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a good no, I'm quite serious, um, you know, and before it's like really bad, and I mean, I work with people of all ages, but I really like working with young people because it is this investment. I'm, I'm looking at, you know, when people come to me and they're like 60, you know, they've been, sometimes they've been really, really miserable for a really, really, really long time, you know, and that's just unfortunate, you know, and I love working with 20-somethings and so forth. And part of the reason I love it is because I know how much payoff there is. You know what I mean? Like you're dealing with some stuff now that's going to have so much benefit for such a long time. And that's, I mean, that's rewarding for everybody. Um, you know, and also really before it's, you know, when you realize that there's something that's really chronically interfering with your life. You know what I mean? I, I think that's sort of what I, my, my kind of, Benchmark is for that. Is this interfering with your life and the things that you you know want to be doing? Is you know what I mean? Then yeah, that's maybe really kind of a problem and maybe something you want to get some help with. Hmm. Great, thanks so much, Miriam. Actually, this question is directed towards you. Um, can you please comment on why you believe there's sometimes such a disconnect between? the realistic consequences and the perceived anxiety, like your client you were talking about, it was the two and the 12. Yeah. Um, if you could comment on why, what is the cause for the spike in perception? Okay, so that, that's, that's a really, really good question. Um, I mean, probably like a number of things. I mean, I, I, you know, there is sometimes that biological, you know, bent towards anxiety. But I think also um, we, you know, certainly with cognitive behavioral therapy, one of the things we're looking at is, is, is this thing that you believe, you know, let's look at it a little bit for a moment objectively. So like, you know, 
one time, you know, often I'll have people, you know, um, the thing that they're worried about or that they're really anxious about really doesn't have much much chance of happening or something, and yet it's occupying a tremendous amount. One that I think a lot of people can, can relate to is um, being anxious when you fly on an airplane, because that's a fairly common anxiety that people have. And <clears throat> But we all here in LA get in our cars, you know, <laughs> several times a day sometimes, and we don't get anxious when we get in our cars, but the truth of the matter is, you're at a higher risk getting in your car than you are getting on a plane, just statistically. You know, I went to a conference once, and it was very interesting. It was not a conference, it was not a mental health conference, it was a medical conference, and it was talking about the way people make decisions medically. And, in, and there was this, big shot guy, you know, talking, I think from the Mayo Clinic or something, and he actually had on this PowerPoint, um, and this is an illustration I give people sometimes, all the different things that are statistically likely to happen to you, like being struck by lightning, um, you know, being in a plane crash, all the things, you know, that people worry about, what are the odds of all those things? And then, he was talking to a group of people where a lot of new medications were out, but you know all those warnings that you see on those commercials, like, and then you'll die, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so all these sick people don't want to take medicine because they're, they're anxious seeing that. And he said, so here's the real risk. Now, let's talk about the risk of surgery, which is what might happen to you if you don't take care of your illness. That is way above the risk of the medicine, and yet, people are prioritizing incorrectly the risk of the medicine because their brain is lighting up with those commercials. You know what I mean? Now, if all they were doing was hearing stories of people who died in surgery, that would be what was lighting up their brain. So a lot of times what happens is we get this exposure to something, you know, we see something on the news, we hear something, and suddenly, you know, it's in usually it's something often that's really dramatic, and it just grabs our brain. You know what I mean? And I, I tell you, when I send those PSA emails out to my kids, like you know, it's usually some dramatic thing. I'm like, you know, don't do a sinus rinse with tap water because. <laughs> <laughs> and there was something in the news yesterday. You know, so I mean, I'm much much better. I haven't sent one of those emails out in. <laughs> A very long time, because of course now we have a group text, so um, <laughs> I don't need to email. But I can just I can just free flow all the time, you know. Um, but um, but you know we see something like you know, and it, it kind of lights up you know your brain a little bit, and suddenly you're at a twelve about something. But then when you really stop, what are the chances of that happening? It's 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 shouldn't be a 12 reaction, it shouldn't be a 10 reaction. So there's this, this sort of disconnect that happens. Um, anxiety is not a, a really rational process, you know, it's, it's not. We often get into some things that we're like worrying about and worrying about and worrying about, and there's not a rational reason so much, but there's a lot of parts of our brain that are not really operating necessarily on logic, you know, on reason, those, but those parts of our brain are very powerful. And sometimes they're overriding 
the part of our brain maybe that does know differently. We may know something, but that doesn't really matter if the part of our brain that wants to, is in high overdrive and lit up is running the show and in the driver's seat at the moment. Great, thanks so much. We have time for just a couple more. I'm gonna ask uh, Stacy this couple combining questions for you. Um, what would you say to somebody who is struggling to incorporate uh, mindfulness if they'd like to uh, because of like attention deficit disorder and the ability to focus is just not as possible? And then kind of parallel to that, how do you bring the practice of mindfulness into your everyday life if you get anxious like, and you're not somewhere where you can slow down, like at the grocery store or something? I'm not going to sit down on the floor and just be like, mm, next to the tomatoes. Yeah. Um, so why not? Exactly. Thank you, Hope. Um, yeah, if you could comment on that, would be great. Um, I think I'll answer the second question first. Um, because I do have a practice that I'm going to just, it takes, you can do it sitting in a meeting, you can do it standing in line at the grocery store, and no one will ever know. Um, and I have clients who I coach that I encourage to do mindfulness practice. Let's start with five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. Um, and they just, it's just not happening for them for whatever reason. They, they don't want to do it or it, or they have like an attention deficit thing that's just makes it really hard for them. Um, so this is the practice that I have people that only do this practice a few times a day and they say it really helps them a lot. And it's called stop. It's a very simple practice. Um, stop stands for, um, S stands for stop. Um, <laughs> so whatever you're doing, you're in a meeting, you're at the grocery store, whatever, stop, take a deep breath is the T, take a breath, observe, observing my body. What am I thinking? What am I feeling in my body? And then proceed. Stop, take a breath, observe, proceed. Super simple. Takes it's really fast, um, and yeah, if you're if if you're not able to to make time for an actual sitting meditation or something like that. Um, in regards to the um, the question about ADHD, um, I feel like you all may also have something to add to this, but. Um, Again, mindfulness practices can look like so many different things. My, my clients that I have right now, I have one specifically that has ADHD and says I cannot do it. Um, she does every day, she does a mindful walking practice. So she's moving her body through space. She's walking, she's going outside. She's feeling her body moving through space. She's taking in the environment. She's feeling the air against her body. She's feeling her feet moving one at a time. She's feeling her body shifting and moving. And that practice is her mindfulness practice. It's not a sitting down and focusing on the breath and really trying, trying, trying. It's a more open practice where she can actually move her body, which is also, by the way, really good if you have the kind of anxiety that's making you feel like you can't sit still. Um, and then there's so many other practices like that. So for some people, maybe like listening to sounds might feel more um, more easy than trying to have one singular focus, like being able to open to different sounds or um, yoga or any kind of movement where you're tuning in to being aware of your body can be really, really good for, for ADHD. There's also a great book called Mindfulness for ADHD. 
Um, I highly recommend it. Um, I also am a self-diagnosed ADHD person. Um, always had a lot of trouble focusing as I was younger, but mindfulness has helped me a lot, but that book was a really good one, so. All right, and I hope this one is for you. Um, so it's kind of a two-part question as well. Um, what would you say uh, to somebody who's struggling to like talk about anxiety or mental health issues with maybe somebody within their family who's like of an older generation, um, maybe somebody of a, a religious background who thinks that like you shouldn't be struggling with mental health or anxiety issues? Um, and then you made a comment that was something related to uh, finding um, uh, something else more stable to handle anxiety than what you can find within. Um, so yeah, if there's, there you can kind of comment on both like talking about mental health and anxiety, if you're coming from a, a religious background or connecting with somebody who's like an elder in the family, and then also that question of stability, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very common experience and that's very, very difficult to have, I think, talking about like attachment theory, you're someone who's supposed to be loving and unconditional and interested and wanting to know you is saying that's not acceptable and that's not true. Um, and I think that's a very, very common experience, multi-generational, for multicultural families, um, for multicultural means like two different cultures in the family or American that are, you know, originating from another culture. And so you could have parents or grandparents that are first generation or, sec or you are second generation or first generation and that, that is a common experience. I think that um, there is a way to share with your family what they can handle knowing. So trying to say it in language that they can actually understand or uh, that they would accept. Um, you know, like uh, if they only take physical symptoms more seriously or if they take... Um, you know, if they can empathize with something, uh, if they themselves have experienced something, like maybe um, they've had some kind of big transition or when they first, uh, you know, approached a job or things like that, that's helpful too to be like, yeah, you know, like I had an experience like this. Have you ever had an experience like that? Um, but I think overall, uh, it is difficult. I think I want to normalize that it is difficult to have these conversations um, with your parents and grandparents oftentimes, unfortunately, and it is hurtful and painful. Um, but there is a way to relate with them, even if it's not at 100%, at 30 or 40%, which allows them to love you in the way that they know how. Um, and for you to not close off that door of like, you don't know me, I don't receive anything from you. Um, because that is 
painful for you, you know, to not, to close off a door where they're trying to love you in the way they know how, but they just don't understand um, this concept or, under, or yeah, I can't get behind it. Um, so I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's that's a beautiful way to look at it. Like, you know, people are in their own journey and they're capable of what they're capable of. Um, and, and I think I, from my own personal journey, my parents are wonderful, wonderful people, but they, they don't get a lot of um, my journey. And in the beginning, it was super painful for me. And then over time, I have found people who... Um, can offer the kind of support that I wish my parents would be able to provide me. And the pain has gotten to be a lot less because I have that support other places. So I think it's really worth the effort of trying to help the people that you love in your family understand as best they can. And also finding the support wherever you can because there is support other places and find people who can be in your tribe who... Um, provide a safe space for you to be honest about what you're going through. And, and if your family's not quite there yet or they don't ever fully get there, find it somewhere because you can you can create more family for yourself in your life. Yeah, I heard it said as a metaphor one time of like with your family, if they've, if they've hurt you and they don't understand you, um, the reaction can either be to put up a wall, like a you know gate that is really hard to get in, and it's just like you're placating and being like, oh great, thanks for what you're sharing, but you don't get into my heart anymore. You're not in a relationship with me, or it can be to be like no boundaries and just like whatever you say rules me, and your opinion of me matters the most all the time, and I only do what pleases you. And the middle ground is to have a picket fence where the door can be opened, um, but it is closed. Um, like depending on you know whether you feel like it's safe, and so you're allowing them to have a chance. You're sharing what you can with them. You're not like closing that option, but at the same time, knowing that they probably will never fully. It's not very likely that they will fully 100% understand you um, and that you can find that that specific thing in another relationship. Yeah. That's great. Well, um, we are going to uh, end our public conversation right there. Um, but can we just take a moment to thank all of our panelists? And thank you to each one of you for being a part of this community event today. I hope that um, walking into this space, your world, if it was upside down, got put a little bit more right side up. And um, please make use of the coffee and pastries and hang out and talk to one another before you leave. So thank you very much. Hey everyone, this is Isaac. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you want to get in touch with Miriam or Hope or Stacy, we've linked to their practices and their websites in the show notes, so you can feel free to get in touch with them and explore more of the resources they have to offer. We also have some resources on our website at Upside Down that are connected to the art show we have on the walls right now called Peace Be Still. One of the things is called the Anxiety Starter Pack. 
which is not meant to induce anxiety, but rather give you some tools for how to grapple with it. There are some articles, there are some podcasts, and some upcoming events that we've got going on that we'd love for you to be a part of. As always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can write to us at hello at upsidedown.com. You can follow us on social media, or you can just visit us at the cafe and talk to your friendly local neighborhood barista. Have a great day.